Hello, everybody, and welcome back to this month in South Enablement. Everything you want to know about the South Enablement community and all the things you need to know to stay up to date with the wonderful world of South Enablement to fast track your journey to South Enablement mastery and your career. We have you covered. Welcome back. And as always, I am joined by Devin McDermott. Welcome back, Devin. How are you? Thank you, Felix. I'm doing great. It is always such a joy to be here with you sharing hot off the presses enablement news. Have you been able to take some time off over Christmas and the year? I got to take just a little bit of time off and it was absolutely wonderful. I drank wine, ate delicious food and watched a ton of Netflix. How about you? Amazing. Amazing. Yeah, me too. The problem is, though, if your holiday is too good, you always struggle to go back into it. But <laughs> yes. luckily, I love what I do. I love working with enablers, love working with different businesses. So yeah, you have to get used to not sleeping 12 hours a day and you know not <laughs> sitting on the balcony enjoying the sun or on the beach. But I managed to do it. It's tough, but there's worse things to handle. <laughs> this is true. <laughs> we have a action-packed agenda today, as always. So we have a bunch of insights that we want to discuss, including 2023 predictions. We will talk about the latest jobs in sales enablement. And this time around, we're actually joined by Stephanie Zorabian. So awesome. The job board star herself. <laughs> Typically, we just refer to her post, but this time she's actually joining the show. So very much looking forward to having her here. And on top of that, we will also talk about some articles we will talk about ChatGPT, which is a very hot topic right now. A day doesn't go by where I don't see about 10 carousels on LinkedIn explaining the latest applications yep. and the different apps that are out there. But today we'll take a look at it from a sales enablement point of view and bring it into the context of the work that we do. We don't have a shortage of things to talk about. Let's dive right in. And we kick things off with the 2023 predictions and... The very first item that we want to refer to is the SEC Enablement Transfer 2023. Devin, what's happening with that one? Yeah, so this article from Sales Enablement Collective features a teaser of some of the winners of SEC's 2023 Ones to Watch, which is focused on enablement stars in the space, and I think it's coming out really soon. But the article features thoughts from some of these enablement heavy hitters on enablement trends to look out for in 2023. So let's take a quick look at some of the highlights of the trends surfaced up by these Ones to Watch. So the first trend shared by Thomas Cherian is that enablement is really going to lean into AI via ChatGPT, which we will certainly be talking about quite a bit. Next, Aaron Evans says that enablement will be tasked with building and developing sales skills moving beyond standard programs and tech that they've been focused on for the past few years, and that this trend is going to require a need for enablers with successful sales backgrounds. We're going to dig into this one in a lot more detail in just a moment. Celine Gray says that she expects to see a focus on enablement specialization and a move to specialized expertise. So think of things like CS enablement, BDR enablement, and so on. And finally, Nick Lawrence sees a deeper need for tying enablement programs to the right things. So he says that enablement teams should associate their programs to behaviors and things they can directly influence versus trying to convince a C-suite that your program developed, I think he said, X amount of dollars in pipeline. So those are just a few of the highlights and some of the trends that our ones to watch have shared. But I recommend that everybody check out this post. There's a few more items in there that are certainly worth looking into. And of course, this will be linked in our newsletter. So, so much more to see there. But those are just some of the trends that are being shared these days, Felix. Awesome. Thank you for the wrap up. So are there any things you completely disagree with and that you completely agree with? Like what are your highlights on both sides of the coin? Yeah. So the ones that I disagree with, we are going to talk about in just a moment via another post, but it is that focus exclusively on sales enablement folks with a selling background, which we're going to talk about a bit. But the item that resonates most with me is that enablement is going to really become more specialized and focus on teams like customer success and BDRs, but also move beyond the revenue organization to other teams in the business, because so many organizations are seeing so much value from enablement. 
I think the bit that I probably agree with the most is the AI side of things, and we'll talk about that later on. I think, yes. especially in a time where a lot of enablers have to do more with less, those sort of smart tools that really amplify your impact and make you more efficient and effective in the work you do, I think will be a big one this year. And again, we'll talk about it later on as well, but it seems like the AI space is finally taking off and also the competition in that space is accelerating. So there will be a couple of tools available to enablers and they will be rapidly improving as it is the case with AI tools that are self-improving. So I think that one is absolutely spot on. The one that I probably disagree with the most is the sole focus on the leading indicators from a sales enablement point of view, meaning the things that we can only influence like in our day-to-day. I think I couldn't disagree with that one more, which is also reflected in a poll that we ran in December where we asked the sales enablement community. So I currently have about just over 6,000 followers on LinkedIn. And on that poll, I think we had about 150 people uh, participating. So I don't want to claim by any means that this is statistically significant or representative, but we had over half of them saying that their focus for mastery in the new year from a sales enablement point of view is the business impact side of things. Yeah, And I think that's a big theme that I see over and over again, which could, incidentally, we will also cover in a upcoming webinar with Mike Kunkel. So that one is coming up. I just quickly need to spruik that one. The webinar will talk about seven steps to maximizing enablement's business impact. So for anybody who's interested in that side of things and wants to make a big difference in the businesses that they operate in and really prove their functions value to leadership, this is one to join. It takes place on February 2nd, goes for about 60 minutes, really concise, all proven approaches, so not just opinions, but actually proven approaches that Mike and I have developed over the years. So this should be relevant to a lot of enablers out there. So if you want to join us, please make sure to check this out in the newsletter where we will also include a link to that one. Heck yeah, I will be there. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. It's always great to have you join these things. Now, in terms of the other predictions that you came across, what was that one? There was one from Aaron Evans, you said? Yeah. So this one Aaron posted, I think a couple of weeks back, but he shares his predictions for sales enablement in 2023. Everything from areas to focus on, technology, metrics, and the best enablement profiles for long-term success in the new world order for enablement. So Aaron says here that he predicts in the next two to three years, there's going to be a big push to bring more people from a sales and sales management background into the enablement function. So he calls out that I think just about 5% of enablers come from the sales function. And in Aaron's words, that's a really scary statistic. So some examples he shared are that enablers don't understand their end customer, which is the salesperson, and that this is reflected in a lot of research reports saying that enablement isn't adding enough value to the sales organization. And the other point is that enablement folks without a sales background can sometimes skew more academic and L&D focused versus sales focused. So Aaron, along with many others on LinkedIn and in sales podcasts and other forums, agree that sales enablers need to have a sales background to really make an impact. So obviously, Felix, I, what do they say, double clicked into this one because you know I have thoughts on the enablement profile itself. And as enablers, We are in the business of driving results, of upskilling and growing our teams to drive effectiveness. And we're all in the business of learning and change management. So with that in mind, my thoughts are, why can't we treat our enablement teams the same way we treat any other sales team or CS team member who we're upskilling and developing? There is so much value and importance in walking around in someone's shoes to really understand their world, to live not only a day, but a week and a month in their life, right? Especially when you are the one building the methods and solutions for them to exist in that world. So there are certainly other ways to get there aside from having actually been a seller. And I've personally seen firsthand that direct sales experience doesn't consistently translate to enablement acumen or expertise. And in fact, there can often be a much steeper learning curve when it comes to building those strategic enablement skills. 
But that said, for enablement folks without a sales background, they do need to put in the work. So they do need to upskill themselves, and they can do that in a number of different ways. Partnering with sales leadership, sitting with their sellers, shadowing calls, getting on the phone themselves, crafting and sending emails, actually customizing decks and sharing them, using all the enablement technology, and really getting in the trenches with the teams and the customers to build strategic sales acumen just like we expect our sellers to do. And as you know, Felix, I spent a lot of time in a variety of sales adjacent roles like account management, training, productivity, implementation, even customer education. And for the past many years, more formally in sales and revenue enablement. And in my first proper sales enablement role, I made it my business to become a trusted partner to my team and an expert in building sales strategy, scoping processes, delivering methodologies to the business, and just about everything in between. And that did not happen overnight or without the help of some really incredible sales leaders and mentors. So my point is that other enablers without direct selling experience need to and can do the same. We're on LinkedIn right now. Read the sales books, develop a robust understanding of methodologies, get a certification, get another one, take the building blocks course. It's everything you need to uplevel yourself, align with your leadership team, run field advisory board sessions, workshop your program strategy with the people that are executing on it. And if you have the opportunity, sit with your RevOps team and leadership team to rescope the sales process. What I'm getting at in a million different ways is it is not easy, but it can be done for an enablement person without sales experience to build the credible skills they need to be incredibly effective, but it takes hard work. Half of the books on my bookshelf are about sales leadership, methodology, sales EQ, building sales teams. It takes time and you have to put in the work, but it's worth it. And so I'm here shouting from the rooftops because it is possible to be an incredible sales enablement person without having carried a bag, if you will. So I'm always happy to talk more about this topic, but that is a trend that I've heard three times in the past week in various forums. And I, I did want to spend some time today digging in. So before I offer my own rant on that topic, just quick shout out. Uh, so you have Pooja Kumar on the stream. Hey, Pooja, thank you so much for joining again. Hi. I know that she's recently relocated from Kuala Lumpur to Sydney again. So she's more or less a neighbor of mine. Just announced that he has joined Adobe. So congrats, Pooja, for landing this new amazing role. Yes. And she says, I agree with you, Devin. There's value in sales experience, but... Understanding the role of the seller and having empathy for what they do is really what is most important. And that leads into my rant because I fully agree that it is more about empathy than actually having been a seller. Yeah. I think sellers in general have the quality also that they are empathetic towards their prospects and their customers and they want to help them and they are, are able to help them in their position. And I think that sort of quality is what you should be looking for somebody with empathy. Yep. I think a seller who is not empathetic is not very likely to succeed in a role. And I think the same applies for sales enablement. So on that level, I agree. I think it also comes down to the remit of sales enablement. So if you are a sales enablement leader and your sole focus is on introducing or supporting methodology and the methodology that you have used throughout the entire sales career consistently is the methodology you're supposed to introduce, of course. And that's a question of specialization, you know? So in that sense, I think it would make sense. Exactly. But then again, you could make the same argument if, for example, you are a sales enablement specialist who has a heavy focus on technology and introducing technology to the business. Yep then you would be a good fit if you had bought a lot of technology in previous roles, whatever role that might have been. And you are specialized in vetting and introducing technology. So I think it comes down to the remit. Yeah. I think generally speaking, if you have a broad holistic sales enablement remit and your task is to improve sales performance at a large scale and to really support business objectives, I think a holistic strategic acumen stakeholder management, change management skills are much more important than knowing the ins and outs of a certain methodology and having been carrying a bag. So yeah, I think that's sort of two angles I want to share. Absolutely. Again, 
I don't fully disagree with Aaron on that front. I think it comes down to the degree of specialization, but I think the organizations that benefit from sales enablement most are the sort of organizations that have that holistic view. And in that sense, I think the more high level executive qualities are more important than the nitty gritty sales methodology knowledge. So those are my two cents. Keen to hear what everybody else thinks. So again, thanks, Pooja, for providing your angle as well. Now, the next item that we have on the list is the predictions for 2023 from our side. We've got a few predictions as well. I'll kick off with mine. So I think the big trend that we'll see, which is mainly due to the recession that a lot of people are dealing with at the moment and a lot of businesses are dealing with at the moment, is that the theme is getting more done with less and enablers need to create great business impact with fewer resources. All of my predictions are kind of related to that point. I think number one that we'll see in 2023 is that enablers will be more strategic in their approach. So they'll be more focused on the impact on the go-to-market strategy and also the impact on stakeholder perception, because a lot of enablers are in an uncomfortable situation of having to justify their position right now, which we see because of all the redundancies as well. I think enablers will be more very asking, why are we doing this and what sort of difference it makes to the business? and We, through the course that I'm running, the Building Blocks of Sales Enablement, we run coaching sessions, and this is a topic or a theme that comes up over and over again in those coaching sessions of people wanting to be proactive about creating a business impact and also wanting to defend their position within organizations and really making sure that they create that political impact and that stakeholder perception that they need to really secure their position within the business. So that's my prediction number one. Prediction number two is that 2023 will be the year of AI, finally. It's been a long time coming, and a lot of people have talked about AI for a while, but it hasn't been as accessible as it has been just recently, especially with ChatGPT. And my prediction is that 2023 will really be the year where people will incorporate AI into their day-to-day workflows, and it will really become part of what we do. And I think something to be wary of, and we'll dive deeper into that in a little bit, but people are always concerned about AI stealing your job. But I really strongly believe that the people that are most comfortable with AI tools will get the jobs. Yeah, I think it's not a defensive play right now. You have to play offense in the sense that it makes sense to upskill as early as possible to really avoid being left behind by people who are really savvy in using those sort of tools and are amplifying their capabilities and their impacts by multiple factors. So I think that will be a big one for this year. And then prediction number three from my end is that we will also see increased enablement maturity levels outside of the US. So I think a lot of countries have made great progress and have invested heavily in sales enablement. And I think through the emergence of remote roles and the amount of enablement talent that is these days out there, unfortunately, also because of the redundancies, I think we will also see more overseas businesses investing in enablement and hiring possibly enablers that have previously worked in US companies. So I think that's another one that we'll see that countries outside of the US, especially Europe and the APEC region will leap forward in sales enablement. Now, enough from me. Devin, what are your predictions for 2023? Which points can you mention that we can revisit at the end of the year to see whether we're right or wrong? Let's see. Well, first, I have to just say your first prediction is my fourth prediction now, because those skills, those go-to-market strategy skills, stakeholder management skills are so important for enablers whose teams are shrinking, but also enablers in the startup space. And you know I love the startup space because our job here is to ensure that we have the right foundation to build the ecosystem for our enablement programs. And it's always easier to get there when we have a seat at the table and can actually influence that strategy. So that is my new favorite prediction. It was not on my list, but I too agree. AI and chat GPT are where it's at. And to your point, adopting it as early as possible, mastering the art, using it to work smarter, not harder is what makes it something that can fuel the importance of your role versus something that will take your role away. So big fan of chat GPT. I was telling Felix earlier, I need to get more creative with my use cases on it, but we've been using it a bit to create 
scripts and emails and A-B testing the machine versus human. So lots of cool stuff ahead of us there. The second prediction for me is a real investment in the enablement function with a focus on revenue enablement, team structure, openness to more varied backgrounds in revenue enablement. You know, I'm pushing hard to rethink that enablement profile as we just discussed. And then, as I mentioned earlier, a move beyond revenue enablement. So enablement expanding to other teams in the organization, like product engineering and HR, we're already seeing a need for it in the businesses I've been a part of that are running revenue organizations. Everybody wants in. I think we're going to see a lot more of dedicated enablement, education and support for other teams in the business. Awesome. Well, I already have my alarm clock set for January 2024 <laughs> for us to revisit those points <laughs> to see if they have come through. So no pressure at all. I think we have to stay creative, but at the same time, realistic with those sort of predictions. But I'm looking forward to seeing if they are going to happen. And we also had Dal Nakai commenting on your segments, Devin, about sellers and the learning curve of sellers in terms of enabling. And she agrees that it is much steeper for a seller to understand how to enable others successful. So thanks, Dell, for your input. Keyword Dell, Dell was actually on the State of Sales Enablement podcast. So for anybody who is interested in listening in, please subscribe to the State of Sales Enablement podcast. Next one up in our list of segments is the jobs. And wow. For the first time ever, we actually have a guest on the show and Stephanie Zarabian is waiting for us just to give you some background around this job segment. So as everybody knows, there has been so many redundancies in the US, unfortunately, so many startups have been investing in sales enablement and have really jumped on the bandwagon because they realized there was so much buzz around it and people started to realize the power of it. But it seems like their ambitious plans on sales enablement hasn't quite matched the economic dynamics that we have seen. There's been so many redundancies at the moment, and there's so many enablers looking for jobs right now, which is why we thought we increase the size of the segment even more, bring Stephanie Zorabian to the table so she can talk us through the latest jobs that are available. And what we will also do moving forward is we will create a collection of all the resources that are available to people looking for jobs right now to make sure that they can use the newsletter as well, really as a resource and an always updated resource with all the resources that they need to hunt for a new job. So we have Stephanie Zorabian ready to go. All right. Here she is. Yes. Stephanie, welcome to the show. It's the first time we actually have a third person on this month in sales and ailments. I'm the first ever. Thank you so much. I'm so excited. Stephanie, how have you been? Like, I'm always impressed with your mammoth effort to pull those job boards together. So you do still have a full-time job, right? <laughs> yes, and I'm very happy. I'm hitting a year at Cisco tomorrow. Oh, congrats. I'm huge on anniversary, so I'm going to buy myself a little cake. I should probably buy one for my team, but it's not their anniversary. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. Wow. So Stephanie, what is happening in the job market? Tell us. I'm seeing things I just didn't expect. I really started the job board because I hadn't been at Cisco long and I was already used to looking at enablement roles like crazy. And it's kind of something that I missed. I know that sounds strange, but I posted it because it didn't seem like we had enough enablers to go around and to fill these roles. It felt like you would trip over the job offers that you would get as an enablement professional about a year ago. It's a very different market. And then going into June and July, we just started seeing the mass of layoffs and the way that the tech world was changing. So what I'm seeing is that while, you know, big tech may not be hiring, they might be on hiring freezes. I'm seeing a lot of different roles in the banking industry. And while still working with sales tech and still supporting sales teams and enablement with a, a whole suite of solutions, it's slowed down quite a bit in the tech world. Got it. Got it. So in other words, the more incumbent industries that are not as volatile potentially might still be investing in sales enablement and they are still developing that function. Is that fair to say? Absolutely. And another thing I've noticed is that the types of roles have shifted slightly. I'm starting to see a little bit more coaches in the title, which is really exciting because I know that that's probably the biggest impact you can have on a sales team as a formal coaching program. 
And then I'm also seeing a lot of tech enablement of sorts. I feel like during the past two years, everyone's invested heavily, whether they work in high tech or not, in their sales tech stack. And it's become so much to manage. So I've seen a lot of roles actually say technology enablement or product enablement, and they'd be almost a product manager or a a platform administrator as part of their role. So I think that individuals who did find themselves at layoffs and are looking for new roles, I think that even just staying up to date with what modern sales tech stacks look like. I talked to lots of individuals and unfortunately, a lot of them had a very old school tech stack and they aren't as up to date. So that seems like it's a really big opportunity there to upskill while you have the downtime of your job search. Yeah. And in terms of remote versus hybrid versus on-site, are there certain trends that you're seeing right now or that you've seen while you've been publishing your job board as well? Unfortunately, I'm seeing a lot more hybrid, a lot more on-site. I'm a huge proponent of remote work. You'll have to peel me away from this desk in my house with my fake pink flowers. (laughs) And I think that a lot of enablers feel the same, the flexibility that working remote has. But I also know that there are enablers out there that I've talked to that are dying to get back into an office. But I do see a lot. So I think that there are opportunities for those who did stay in the big tech hubs or who did stay in the big cities to be on site again. But there are still opportunities. I would say where before it was probably like 70% remote and 30% on-site or hybrid, I'm kind of seeing more of a 50-50, where 50% are remote and about 50% are hybrid or on-site. Got it, got it. Now, we've been talking about AI a bit. Everybody's probably already sick of all the uh, chat GPT updates in their news feeds, but have you already seen any jobs pop up that specifically mention any exploration into AI that is desired by employers? The more insight you can have into sellers is the best. And I know that there's some call AI, (laughs) the conversational intelligence platforms that really had sold a lot during COVID when teams started going remote and hybrid. So I think that in addition to having, you know, platforms on your resume, like the CRM and like an outreach platform, I think that having conversational intelligence is also, I'm seeing that a lot. And also... Just being able to analyze data, I keep seeing that. Just being able to look at the data from your sellers, what your tech stack is telling you, what you're getting from all of these technology sources, and being able to digest that and share that with first-line managers or with those in the C-level. I think that those are really high-in-demand skills right now as well. Got it, got it. Now, are there any jobs you want to call out that have been really interesting or really popped out in your list that you've recently posted? Some that I've been surprised about, I think people might be surprised when I keep posting things like sales operations roles. They're like, this is enablement. Why would you do that? I can't live in operations. But I think that a lot of companies during the consolidation of resources and during COVID, I think that enablement is rolling up into and sits in operations right now. So I think that if you're seeing, you know, director of sales operations and analytics, I think that you'll find that there's much more enablement in those than you've seen in the past. And I know that especially companies who aren't in the high tech industry, those might naturally fall within those areas. So I keep seeing things like, you know, director of customer success operations, but there's a huge proponent of revenue enablement in those roles. So I would definitely say don't count those out, especially if you're job searching Don't let the title of operations scare you like it does me sometimes. (laughs) Awesome. We have one audience comment from Andrea Hart. She said, uh, main benefits of in-office is that you can actually hear and see how sales is presenting things, although Gong Chorus AI may nullify this need. But seeing the reality is a great way to understand where the strategy and execution may be disconnected. So thanks, Andrea, for this comment. This is awesome. Yeah, I absolutely agree. So I think those conversational intelligence tools are something that have been born out of the needs and out of the situation of being remote, but obviously sitting in the room with sellers and actually taking notes and really identifying what is going on can also sometimes help understanding cues and dynamics in the room that might not necessarily be identified by a artificial intelligence system yet, let me say. So <laughs> we will see I was going to say, the tech is getting pretty interesting. Gong alone in the last like five months 
is just knocking my socks off. It's pretty incredible. Yeah, yeah. I think the interesting thing also is what a lot of people don't realize is that it's not a linear improvement that we see with AI because the system teaches itself and improves itself based on feedback. It's actually an exponential improvement, right? So we can expect those sort of tools to be twice as good in one year, two years time than they are today. So I think we're in for a wild ride. But Stephanie, I very much appreciate you joining today. And your job board is, as Devin likes to call it, or has called it in previous episodes, God's work. So oh. thank you so much. <laughs> It's true. For giving back to the South and Amy community and absolutely love the engagement that you generate. And for any hiring managers out there, please get in touch with Stephanie if you have any jobs you want to share. And of course, for any job seekers, also make sure that you follow Stephanie and share that with anybody else you might know that is looking for a job. So thank you so much, Stephanie, for joining. And I hope to come back in the next few episodes if you're up for it. Yes. Anytime. Anytime. Thank you both so much. Thank you. I'm fangirling over Devin. Hi. <laughs> Hi, Devin. <laughs> I know, same here. I'm trying to be cool, but it's fine. <laughs> I'm not cool. I'm okay. <laughs> awesome. Thank you both. And thank you, everyone. Thank you. Thanks, Stephanie. Thanks. Awesome. Wow. Well, uh, it really does feel like a party now. I know. That we have other people joining. We should do this more often. Heck yeah. I think it's great. So, Back to the thing that I had kind of teased earlier around the article that you had researched. Oh, yes. Okay. Let's take a look at that one from Destination CRM. And the title is, Now is not the time to underinvest in sales enablement. Devin, is in the article what it says on the label? <laughs> yes. This article is so timely, right? It's by Jim Dickey, who's a research fellow at Sales Mastery. And... Again, it's timely and relevant given an impending economic downturn and companies moving quickly to make very smart financial decisions to set their businesses up for long-term success. And as we just discussed, that we've seen a number of incredibly talented enablement folks recently laid off because enablement is still seen as a nice-to-have function or a cost center versus an essential needed function to drive improvements in execution and revenue. So Jim basically wants CFOs and leaders to understand, based on the economic trends he saw in the 2008-2010 downturn, he wants them to look at that information to inform the decisions they're making now, when they're considering cutting sales support, cutting enablement, and stopping their investments in the sales organization. And personally, I wish I saw this article a few weeks back when I was trying to revalidate a fully baked and stakeholder and exec approved business case for a new piece of enablement technology. Our business, like many others, was being proactive about spending, customer acquisition costs, and really focusing on pressing business needs, streamlining our tech stack, and saving money. Thankfully, our leadership team understands the power of enablement in elevating their customer-facing teams, especially during downtime. So we did get approval, but having some of the data in this article would have been game-changing and saved me a lot of stress. So. The decisions that are happening across these businesses, as we know, are happening for a variety of financial reasons across a number of industries and businesses. And again, Jim is here with the facts to tell us why we should not be cutting enablement teams and sales tech, because we are actually going to wind up losing out money, time, and retention of talent one to two years post-recession. So a quote from the article that I loved is, there will be a significant cost if you choose to underinvest in your sales organization at a time that they need more help versus less. So let's dig into a couple of the main insights that Jim shares. For starters, the economy, as we said, is in a really weird spot right now, and it's unclear whether this downturn is actually leading to a recession. Regardless, sales quotas are going up and support for our sales team, that is the thing that we know will help them achieve their goals, is going down. So the research says that making financial cuts to achieve revenue success in a challenging economy does not work. And pushing sales teams to work harder and harder without the support that they need from enablement or from tech is not going to take us where we think it's going to. So what Jim says is, yeah, you might retain your reps through a downturn, but that's likely because they don't have anywhere else to go with hiring freezes at other viable companies. But that when revenue starts to improve, those sales reps who went above and beyond without that support, without their enablement team, without the tech, are going to be 
probably the first ones to entertain outside offers and voluntarily leave your business, which, as we know, is going to result in a potential loss, a loss in revenue, a loss in time. And as we know, on the enablement side, it can take up to 12 to 15 months to fully ramp a stellar sales rep. So there are so many more nuggets in this article, tons of data for anybody working to establish their enablement function as a business critical team and key business partner in their organization. So please read this article. It was incredibly helpful. Jim's posts are just great in general. But Felix, I'd love to know from you, how do you think we can start to shift the perception around enablement and enablement tech being a nice to have versus a need to have for business. And I know we touched upon some of that earlier, but would love your thoughts. Yeah, I mean, it comes down to sharing or showcasing business impact, right? And business impact might be a vague concept to a lot of people, but what we're actually talking about is the metrics that sales enablement supports, right? And on the most basic level, we should be looking at the revenue metrics, things like overall Salesforce productivity and sales velocity. But then also the underlying metrics in terms of sales process efficiency and so on, conversion rates across the sales process and so on. And I think that sort of homework of understanding the pyramid structure of the strategy and how it trickles down in the business and also having the metrics associated with each of those strategic goals and how sales enablement relates to that, that's, I think, a exercise that a lot of enablers that I talk to haven't gone through, right? Mm -hmm. I think this is the foundation you really need to showcase business impact from a really objective numerical point of view, right? So as soon as you're able to showcase your impact in relation to those KPIs that are really impacting the overall go-to-market strategy, at that point in time, you're really able to showcase the value of your enablement function. And there's no discussion around it, you know, like this, yeah. okay, we've shifted this metric from here to here within the last six, 12 months. If we don't do this thing anymore, or if we don't follow through with this initiative, we can expect this metric to drop again. Mm -hmm. I think this is a point where the discussion around whether enablement is needed within the business is no longer an opinion. Right. It just becomes a fact of life. Whether you can afford certain metrics to be impacted or not, right? And yeah, I think that's something to be wary of and something where it really makes sense for enablers to upskill if you're not really comfortable with that sort of process or you're not familiar with that process of really relating your work back to business impact. Mm -hmm. I think that's the name of the game these days. And as we discussed before, the survey that I ran and also the anecdotes based on my conversations with enablers, that's really in an, an area where most of them want to upskill considering the troubles that there are out there in the job market right now. So yeah, awesome article. Thank you so much for sharing, Devin. Yeah. The next item that we have in our agenda is let's talk about ChatGPT, right? So ChatGPT, this AI platform that has been launched by a non-for-profit called OpenAI. It's a company or it's a not-for-profit that had been funded by some really prominent investors, including Elon Musk. So he had committed a whole bunch of money to actually supporting that venture. And Microsoft had actually recently invested $1 billion. And they are just about to up their investment, obviously, due to the recent craze to 49%. I can't recall the exact number right now, but they are going to invest tens of billions into this company, which is a sign that... I think this technology can now be really taken seriously. Just a bit of background, also why I'm interested in that topic. I've written articles about AI years ago, which is also due to the fact that I was actually working on a SaaS startup or the concept for a SaaS startup quite a while ago, which was around data analytics. And um, we had explored different AI tools. And what was out there back then was already considered like really convenient. So it was tools like Amazon SageMaker, which probably not a lot of people would be familiar with unless you're a developer. So those are sort of tools that were kind of operating in a background that you could use to build applications that are then user-facing, right? But what's happening with ChatGPT now is that for the very first time, you have a tool that is publicly accessible, that is really easy to use by people. So the way you actually use this tool is really easy to understand because it essentially operates like a chatbot. But... The key difference that we have here is that it's a language model, meaning that 
the system essentially mirrors the conventions of human communication and it really responds in a way that is typical and in line with the way humans would communicate. So it actively mimics that sort of way of communication, which makes it obviously also very accessible to people. And for the very first time, it still feels like you're talking to machine, but it feels less like talking to machine. Let me put it this way. Mm -hmm. Because the system is being trained on internet data, so without delving into the nitty gritty of the way AI systems work, but the foundation for the effectiveness of an artificial intelligence model is the training data, right? And the broader the training data and the more high quality the data is that you feed into the system, the better the outputs are. And ChatGPT has been trained with ginormous data sources, which means that it is much more accurate and better than a lot of other AI tools that have been out there. And because the tool is being tuned in a way that it's self-improving, the improvement are exponential, right? So there's already a fourth version of ChatGPT coming out that uses a set of billions of data points, uh, trillions of data points. Oh my God. <laughs> so it's going to be pretty crazy in the near future already. So I heard the CEO actually speak in an interview recently. And typically when I hear those sort of comments from CEOs, I kind of go, yeah, yeah, of course you want me to use your stuff. But he said, now is really the time to get on board and get on board right now for companies to build tools and also for professionals to actually understand the power of those sort of tools. And let me tell you what, I believe him. Like, I think everybody should get on board now. Yeah and use the system as much as possible to really get familiar with using AI in your day-to-day -day work and really leveraging the power of artificial intelligence to multiply your output and to create efficiencies in the way you work. Now, I want to spend a minute to talk about what that actually means in a self-enablement context, because we want to make sure that this is as relevant as possible to the self-enablement community. And I do strongly believe that the self-enablement community has a great potential to actually benefit from this tool. Devin, why don't you talk us about a couple of use cases that you have thought of that you have used it for in the past? Yeah. And to your point, like the potential use cases are infinite. I am new to like the world of AI. Obviously, I've been using it in various places, but I've never had the opportunity to like touch it, feel it, interact with it, and learn more about it. But at its most basic use case from an admin perspective for enablement, it's really helpful to craft responses to questions really fast, give you a starting point on a topic if you're stuck or blocked or you're not sure where to begin. A good friend of mine who's a, a fellow enabler was sourcing feedback on naming her consulting company. And her original idea was phenomenal. And I was like, well, let's see what ChatGPT has to say. <laughs> And it came up with some funny responses that I, I didn't document, but hers was much better. But it's great for like those types of like ideation sessions, getting your juices flowing. We're actually going to be running a chat GPT talk track workshop with my teams in the next few weeks to say, here's our standard talk tracks. Let's plug it into chat. Let's get some other ideas from chat and let's test them. Let's see which ones perform better. But it's great for, again, status updates, email follow-ups, getting the juices flowing, as they say, and even... In my organization, we work with our customer support team on the enablement side. There are so many use cases on that front as well that we're going to start exploring from quick responses or even using it as a tool to create a response quickly and have our very, very smart team members curate that response, modify it so it's more appropriate for the end user. But you said this earlier, Felix, it's great for creating speed, momentum, working smarter, not harder, and elevating the work that our teams are already doing. So for anybody who hasn't used the tool or seen the tool yet, can you just talk us through the process of, for example, coming up with a response? Like, what would you do step by step to actually get a response out of the system and actually something usable? I love that you're trusting me with this because I am probably the least creative person that you know. And so how I started things with like, Someone in my organization was like, what's the difference between training and enablement anyway? And I have my beautiful slide and my talk track. And to me, I'm like, well, obviously it's straightforward, but I'm like, let's see what chatbot has to say and let's ask them to do it in the form of a poem. And so like, those are the ways that I'm using it where I entered in. Tell me the difference between training and enablement and the style of a poem, much like you did with our enablement night before Christmas, Felix. But you basically enter your query, whatever you want the response type to be, whether it's write me a, a movie script on the topic of revenue enablement or help me create talk tracks around a specific topic. You click the little 
arrow button and chat GPT just starts generating copy. If it's not what you're thinking or not along the lines of what you wanted, you can correct it and have it move in a different direction. So again, to your earlier point, it just keeps getting smarter. It keeps learning and it understands what you want it to do if you give it the right instruction and feedback. Now, this is uh, somebody who is not very technically savvy or even AI savvy. So that's how I use it. But I'm sure there's a better way. Awesome. So yeah, I think it's just worth exploring use cases and actually playing with it. So something that it's really easy to use for is to actually grasp topics really quickly and really easily, right? Mm -hmm. So if you actually ask it to provide a quick summary of a topic that you want to understand better. So for example, you could ask it, like if that's something that's not your strong point or you haven't explored any other models, you can, for example, ask it, what's the best way to structure a coaching session, right? And it would actually use all the data that is being used across the internet to be trained to come up with the best possible response that is as succinct as possible, right? If you would use Google for the same sort of exercise, you would have to, first of all, get a list of endless pages. You'd have to visit each one of them to actually get an idea of the topic. ChatGPT actually does the work for you and then comes back to you with a curated answer, so to speak, that is more digestible and easier to consume. And then you can ask follow-up questions as well around the topic. So if you say, how do you structure a coaching session? Please elaborate on point three that you mentioned, right? And then it would then basically elaborate on that one as well. So you cannot only have like once or queries, but you can actually interact with it further and ask it to explain certain things in more detail, to recommend websites, the best websites to learn about that topic in more detail. Or if, for example, if you want to rather want to listen to a podcast around the topic, you can also ask it, hey, do you have any recommendations around a podcast around that topic and so on. So there's so many, I think, great ways we can use it. I'm just looking at other use cases that we wanted to share. We had enable faster, more accurate customer support. So you mentioned that one. I think that is something that can be done with, you know, an application layer, for example, you could use it to actually create chatbot applications for your website and actually have it as a fast responding smart assistant or smart chatbot on your website inspire creativity so we mentioned that one so basically thought starters or ideas for getting your creative juices flowing and faster completion of admin tasks for office workers so creating email templates talk tracks writing emails and so on that's currently where the strongest use case is using it like a co-pilot and as a launch pad for you to do your work. I think right now it cannot replace your total body of work around a certain task, but it can get you started and get you a certain way ahead for you to complete a task quicker. So I think that's, from my point of view, the strongest use case right now. But we're also talking about a couple of future use cases. And one of the things that I wanted to call out, which was also specifically mentioned by ChatGPT around the future of the system, is the multiple layers of ChatGPT. Because at the moment, the system is just a generalist system that is not specialized in any specific topic. So what the founder of ChatGPT actually predicted is, and what he will see in the new future, is that there will be ChatGPT as a foundational layer. Then you will have layers that are specific to certain topics or use cases where companies entertain these layers and actually train the system specifically around a certain topic. So for example, around sales enablement, right? So you can, if you have enough data and high quality content that you can actually feed into the system, you can uh, really make it smarter and smarter around sales enablement and really understand and grasp certain topics, understand the correlation between different topics and so on. So you've got this topical layer underneath. And then as a last step, you would then have applications actually capitalizing on that layer, right? So you can then use application like chatbots and integrate it in your website, or you could have that integrated into the CRM to help your sellers, or you could have it as a co-pilot for sales enablement professionals, for example, in which case you would have the just-in-time response or resource that you would typically have in communities right now, you would be able to utilize ChatGPT as a way to actually gather that sort of feedback and that insight into very specific questions in real time. Game changing. That's right. That's right. So coming back to the point earlier around the learning curve and learning certain parts of your job, I think that will be invaluable because you really get that real-time coaching when you need it in your job, which will help you not only to better understand your subject matter, 
that is needed to perform your job, but also in the sales context, suddenly you get real-time buyer acumen, you can understand buyer personas better, you can run analysis around a company that pulls data from the entire internet around certain dynamics, the latest news, what might be the dynamics within the company based on a recent announcements in the context of your sales conversation and so on. So suddenly all of this information that you would typically have to research based on a research desk or yep. collide, that sort of information becomes really accessible in a matter of seconds at your fingertips. So I think there will be an absolute game changer. So to wrap the segment off, are there any other future use cases you can think of, Devin, that we haven't touched on? I think you nailed it. And frankly, I have my notebook out because I'm like, everything you just shared are things that I haven't even dreamed of. So I need to do my chat GPT homework. This past weekend, I found myself layers deep in a Reddit thread on the use for of chat GPT for Salesforce admins. And it was awesome. And I realized as you were just speaking, I could have just asked chatbot, <laughs> what are your uses for Salesforce? So it's just super exciting. And I am very much on the bandwagon that this is going to be a game changer, as we said, for enablement and a number of other industries. So I am going to continue to consume all of the information I can about it because it's where we're headed. Awesome. Well, on that note, just a couple of things before we wrap up. For anybody listening in, if you're interested in learning more about ChatGPT in the context of sales enablement, please make sure to subscribe to the State of Sales Enablement podcast or just simply follow me, Felix Kruger, on LinkedIn. We are in the process of actually producing a whole podcast episode around the topic of the use of ChatGPT in the context of sales enablement. So for anybody who wants to be on the cutting edge and make sure that they stay relevant in their job, please make sure to check out that episode. And then on another note as well, as always, we will summarize all the resources that we have mentioned in this episode in the This Month in Sales Enablement newsletter. So please make sure to subscribe to that one if you haven't already. Just simply on LinkedIn, look for This Month in Sales Enablement. It's a LinkedIn newsletter, so you don't even need your email address to subscribe. Just simply subscribe and you get all the resources that we discussed in this show, plus all the insights that we mentioned associated with those resources in a really concise newsletter format. And on top of that, please, 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 if you know anybody in your sales enablement network that you think would benefit from this sort of newsletter, please share it with them as well. Everybody who's been tuning in, thank you so much for joining. It's been a blast. I cannot wait for what 2023 has in store for us. And I cannot wait to actually see all those predictions, hopefully, that we have been discussing today yes. come true. Devin, thank you so much for joining today. It's been a blast. And I'm glad that you once again have come back to the show. Thank you. Everybody, thank you so much for joining. And I will speak to you soon. Bye-bye. <laughs>